Hi, I'm Damon Fairless, host of Hunting Warhead from CBC Podcasts and the Norwegian newspaper VG. Hunting Warhead follows a global team of police and journalists as they attempt to dismantle a massive network of predators on the dark web. Winner of the grand prize for best investigative reporting at the New York festivals and recommended by The Guardian, Vulture, and The Globe and Mail, you can find Hunting Warhead on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi there, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. We have a special bonus for the Doses podcast subscribers. Other People's Problems with host Dr. Hillary McBride takes you where microphones rarely go, into her therapy office where her clients hurt, heal, and ultimately thrive. You'll hear private conversations people rarely ever have with themselves, let alone share with others. This is what people sound like when they talk with someone they trust about difficult childhoods, ongoing mental health struggles, and the sudden changes we're all facing right now living through a pandemic. We've got the first episode of season three for you. Have a listen. How are you doing with everything? I mean, I don't know. It's good as anybody else, I guess. It's just, it's tough. It's the, like the virus part doesn't really bother me. Like if I get sick, I get sick, you know? I'm relatively healthy, should be fine, like, but I mean, I think I would be fine. My wife is super healthy. She's also younger than me. She'll be fine, kids will be fine. So the virus part doesn't bother me. It's just, it's the more the stress of the money. I mean, as you go from having some kind of income to zero income. Zero, yeah. I'm Dr. Hilary McBride, and this is Other People's Problems. Other People's Problems is a chance for us to get inside what therapy actually feels like and sounds like. This is a real-life therapy session between me and one of my longtime clients we're calling Andrew. Andrew is someone that I've been working with for a little while. I saw him at first for a particular presenting concern, but we took some time apart from each other and working on things, and then he popped back up. And when he came in, he said he actually wanted to work on some things that had happened in his childhood. He shared with me about having experienced abuse when he was growing up and how that was impacting him in his present day life. But now we're finding ourselves right at the beginning of when things are starting to change with the coronavirus. Andrew comes in and although we'd been working on some of the abuse from his childhood, I started by checking in with him about what's happening like I do with all of my clients. And this is where we started. Everyone's trying to reopen back up again right now for takeout. So I started that just on Friday. And it's going reasonably well. I mean, the idea for me is that essentially it's just me and I'm not getting paid. And it's my chef who's doing it volunteer basis. So we just make some money for the staff who need it. We'll just sell the food that we have in the restaurant, essentially. So we've already made enough money to pay for two of the girls' rents. Wow. Which is awesome. It takes a huge stress off them. How generous of you. Well, it's just, yeah, it's just a really crappy situation, right? So it's hard. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. How is the it's hard showing up? It varies. There's some days I just, just want to break down, crawl under a rock, try and hide. It's just, it's hard not knowing. It's hard not knowing when, when it'll end, you know? I mean, if you said, okay, well, it's going to be a month. Okay, well, we can get by a month. You can say it's going to be four or five months. I don't. We won't be able to get by four or five months. 
When we first started seeing and hearing about COVID-19, at first it seemed like it was something that everybody wanted to talk about, but we didn't really know what to say. So it seemed like starting every therapy session and just jumping into where we left off before didn't actually make sense. It would be kind of tone deaf and it, it didn't really feel right because some people were coming in and saying things like, I, I am not managing. And it's almost like we had to pivot to doing crisis work together. And other times people were coming in and really actually wanting to explore a kind of trauma that we'd never even talked about. This social isolation was reminding them neuropsychologically of times in their past where they had felt totally alone. And in some ways it was re-triggering them or bringing their trauma back up to the surface. And so we were able to do deeper work than we'd ever done. What a time we're in, hey? So there have been times when you felt like wanting to crawl under a rock. Yeah. And there are these, sounds like these moments of connection and moments of... Times when you, if you, you know... It's the times when you can't see anything past this wall of shit. And then there are times when you see, okay, this could possibly work, and this could possibly work, and if this happened, and just basically feeling more positive and optimistic, and then that then lifts me up enough to go, okay, we can do this, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's there with you today? I feel semi-positive today. You know, it makes me feel really good that, like, two of the girls, one of the girls is Kirk and one of the girls is front of house. I mean, they both have... Like such minimal rent. They both have roommates. They both live out of downtown core. So their rent's like 750 bucks a month, right? So now we can pay both their rent, which is amazing. It would be nice if I felt like everything else is sort of collapsing and going to shit. It would be nice if I felt like the family would come together and gain strength from that. Yeah. I definitely gain strength from my kids. Mm-hmm. But I'm hearing you say, I mean, use the words, there's not much there. Well, there is, there isn't. There is no, and it hasn't been a long time like that, and we've talked about that before. There's, there's no sort of tenderness or kindness. It's just, it's just, and that's just gotten worse over the last year or so. so. Mm-hmm. But I'm hearing you say that there's, with all of this, there's the hope or the expectation that maybe it could be a little bit different right now. Yeah. And you're seeing that it's but not. For sure. And, you know, and I think sometimes I'm like, okay, it's done. It's over. You know, I really need to sort of move on. We need to sit down and have this talk because it's very apparent. This is how she feels and this and this. And then she'll say things. And I was talking about what the plan was. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I said, supposedly they were, they were hiring for bus drivers She's like, well, maybe you shouldn't apply here. Maybe we should just apply to, like, Kelowna. We could just move to Kelowna. Mm. I'm like, you want to move anywhere with me? I'm so, like, stunned by that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm curious, what if you ever say that to her and ever say, I'm getting some mixed messages from you. I'm getting the message that isn't working, and then I'm also getting the message that you're envisioning a future. Well, that's that's it, and that's what happens. And that's what happens in that at home, it'll be very cold, very matter-of-fact, then when we're out in public, either around her friends or even around her parents, she's very different. You know, she's much more positive and I, I sort of am embarrassed to feel like I noticed these things, but I noticed like, you know, as we were at her parents just recently, this last weekend, and uh, she came over and she put her hand on my shoulder and just rubbed my shoulder and said, hey, do you want a cup of tea? And I was just like, 
Who's this? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And like that, just nothing like that ever happens at home. When I'm listening to Andrew talk about this longing for closeness in his marriage and what he feels is what's actually there is a kind of coldness. I think about relationships as actually naturally kind of growing apart. That a couple, unless they're taking deliberate steps to continue to get to know each other and to continue to keep their hearts soft and see the other person naturally this space will form between us. And I think of that as being what happened here. And yet what what seems to me to be actually kind of revolutionary about this is that we're hearing a guy talk about that longing. We're hearing a man say that he is the one who's wanting that kind of closeness and that seems to disrupt our narrative about intimacy and masculinity. At what point are you going to tell her about the contrast between these things? The at-home behavior, the out behavior, the I don't want to be with you, let's move to Kelowna. Like, w- there's some discrepancies all over the place here, and are you going to ask her about that, and when? Yeah, I just... Part of me feels like that conversation will be it. And I don't know if I want to have that conversation. So, maybe I'm just being chicken. Not chicken, but... If, not wanting to you're holding on to what you have yeah which is I mean quite sad and pathetic in my eyes really because it's not much and it's certainly not enough and then you know then you throw the kids in there and which is the worst reason to stay together my parents stayed together and I remember they came to me when I was about 14 and said yeah we're breaking up we haven't really liked each other for a long long time mm-hmm. but we stayed together for the kids I was like well, that doesn't make me feel very good you know, and I want my kids to grow up in an environment where there's like love and affection and tenderness and kindness and I want them to learn that's what a relationship is, right? Or should be. Yeah. Because I think she's just somewhat terrified at the thought of being a homeschooling mum for the next however long. And I've said, look, we'll, we'll figure it out. Like, maybe I can do three days, you can do four. She's like, well, we're not making any money doing that. I'm like, it's not about money. It's about you getting a break from constantly having to be surrounded by kids and if that's something that's terrifying you which I think it is you know because she's just being very harsh and strict on them you know she's writing schedules on the whiteboard okay by nine o'clock you'll be dressed as if for school at 10 15 we'll have a break and and I think it's a really good idea to have some kind of structure if there's not going to be any school but I think we also have to be a little understanding that everyone's going to get a little squirrely stuck in a house Mm, you're missing that warmth though yeah there's there's no there's no warmth. I'm sorry. That's okay. You are okay, but it's not okay. You're really longing for that closeness. Yeah, I do. I want a connection with somebody. You know? I like the, well, I love the connection I have with my kids. I like the connection that I'm building in myself mm-hmm. through the stuff that we've been doing. And then when I think, okay, I'm done. This is ridiculous. This is not a relationship. It's just, but then... I'll have a dream. I had one dream this one day night, and you know, I remember saying like, "I love you." And she's like, "I really love you too," and blah blah blah. And it was just like, yeah. And I woke up, and I was like, ah. It makes me realize that. Well, yeah, but it makes me realize that 
I still really want that. Yeah. Even though I can try and convince myself as much as I want, I don't want it, mm. I do. And that's why I'm still there. Fear sometimes is running the show. And when fear is running the show, we're not necessarily making the best choice for what we actually want in our life, big picture, and might be doing more avoiding than anything. Even though it's really scary to go, sometimes it's also really scary to stay because it means approaching a person. It means having hard conversations. And so instead of putting judgments on if it's cowardly to stay or brave to go, I might say, no matter what we do, it's kind of risky if we're making a change. And what are the best ways we can support ourselves to take the risks that actually get us the life that we want? You called that cowardly earlier. And yet I think about it as congruent, like you obviously have all of those feelings. It's so hard to walk away. Cowardly because, yeah, just maybe not just wanting to face the, the finality. Can you give yourself permission to not right now? To not? To not face it? Like if I think about what your options are at this point, you have some options, right? To say something, to not say something. Yeah. I think for now, I mean, I, I do kind of feel like that needs to just be put on the back burner for now. There are sort of more important things at hand. Mm-hmm. Trying to maintain a roof, food, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Although you are going to be spending a lot more time together than you're used to. What do you want to do about all this? What do you need in all of this? Well, at some point, I think that we obviously need to sit down and talk. What will be the thing that helps you take a step or ask a question? (laughs) If we get put on lockdown, I mean, that's spending a couple of weeks in a house together. There's probably going to be a few discussions, I would imagine. I would hope so, And times for talking, so. So it might be right around the corner then? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a hard place to be to want things to be different, but to feel nervous or scared to do anything about it. But it sounds clear to you that how things are right now is not working. No, I mean, I, I think things have to change. Queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why. I'm Francis Pourd, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. And part of me thinks I'd be really heartbroken and devastated if we broke up. And the other part, there's a certain part of me, back of my neck, that I can feel. Mm. It just says how amazingly freeing it would be. You know? Well, when we talk about everything that's uncertain, how relieving it would be for something to be known. Yeah. There's that. But then for the thing that's known is, I don't have to be preoccupied with the question marks in this relationship. And right. I, don't have to, I don't have to keep feeling treated in a way that doesn't work for me. And I find myself thinking, do I not just love the person that she is when she's with other people? Because she's a lovely human being. I mean, she really is. She's warm and she's beautiful and et cetera, et cetera. But it's, that all exists out there. That's something that I witness as opposed to experience. 
You know, I guess I'm just not sure that having a conversation would mean that it's over, especially if you went about it in a very specific invitational way. Right. But it does make me think about how believing that having a conversation would make it over would be so scary that it would stop you from talking at all. He doesn't yet want to walk away, but he's come up with this story in his head somehow that having a conversation is going to implode the whole thing. And I'm trying to help him see that maybe the conversation that right now feels like a guarantee to end the relationship actually might be the invitation to the intimacy and the sense of reconciliation that he's actually really longing for. And so what I want to support him to do is see that that he is engaging in some avoidance that is actually perpetuating the distance between him and his wife and that he has some control over that piece. I'm sure there's a part of me too that feels there's a whole lot of, like we just haven't talked in a long time and there's probably a whole lot of stuff inside of me that just wants to go bleh, right? So. Just think about all the things that we do when we are first close with someone, right? Like when you're dating someone, you fall in love when any of us do, we want to tell them everything. The gates to our inner landscape, our inner world are so wide open. And as we become more dis- disconnected, we get more protective, we get more cagey, we let the other person see our soft, vulnerable parts less. We see theirs. And yes, there's a process piece that we need to talk about here, which is look at how much it's changed, but there's also something really effortless in the beginning that we can recreate in the present when there has been space. Like, hey, can I tell you? Oh, you're so good at listening to to when people have hard stuff going on for them. Can I tell you what I'm working on in therapy? Or, this has been really hard for you. All of a sudden being this stay-at-home mom teacher. (laughs) What's been the hardest part? And doing those things that start to weave connection back together again feel scary only because there's so much distance, but the two of you have done it so well before. You don't get married and have kids and parent them together without being able to do that. Yeah, 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 I don't know. I don't know if I can go backwards. I wonder if there's something that helps about working on your friendship. Mm-hmm. Knowing that the two of you are going to be spending a lot more time together over the next few weeks, months, maybe. Thinking about just being better friends. Taking the pressure off of any kind of closeness to, to do anything to your marriage, but rather thinking about when you're in a home, all four of you, especially if you're not going out, how do you, how do you work on the back and forth? How do you be more kind to each other? How do you build closeness as a whole unit, as a family? Make space to listen to her, ask for her to have space well, to listen I mean, the, the connection that I want is, I mean, comes from her sharing mm-hmm. her feelings and her inner stuff with me or talking to me about the stuff that's going on with me. It's not, I don't have this idea that we're going to go jump into bed and everything's going to be fine. It's just it needs a lot of stuff that needs to happen before then. If you were going to, instead of saying to her, you need to make all these changes or, or what's wrong, but if you were to start acting in such a way that would invite her to join you 
in friendship, what would you do differently? I don't, I mean, I don't know, because I honestly, I sort of feel like I try to, or I've been trying to accommodate what I think she needs. But it's never met with like, oh yeah, that'd be great, awesome, or it's, it's just, hmm. I guess if the kind of closeness that you're wanting isn't based on tasks, but based on vulnerability and openness, so yes, you, yes, you are thinking about her. But I'm curious about even questions that, that you ask about her inner world. What was the best part of your day? What was hard today? What are you really missing about the normal rhythm of life? Tell, tell me more, right? Asking questions that open her up yeah. is probably going to help her, open up, help her open up more than focusing on tasks. Right. Right. When there is distance or closeness, we kind of back into our corner and we want the other person to change. And the truth is, if anything is going to be different, both of you are going to have to do something different. And it's going to be a lot easier for her to do something different if you meet her halfway. The other thing that happens if we do that is when you take more risks, if she doesn't meet you halfway, it becomes abundantly clear that there's right an issue, which at least would give you something to talk about or some clarity that a this isn't sustainable for me. Well, and, that, and I think that's where it's at because I do, I try to convince myself, you know what, what I need to do is I need to be the person I want mm-hmm. her to be, mm-hmm. right? Attentive and listening and, you know, I'm like, how am I supposed to ever want to get somebody to come up and give me a hug if I never give them a hug? Mm-hmm. So I'll make sure like, I try and give her a hug once a day or every other day, and you know, like, but it's, I mean, it hasn't been reciprocated or just even the mental side of it for a long, long time. So that's why I do think there is, a, you know, obviously an issue that's... I'm sorry that that sounds really lonely. But, you know, it's interesting through doing meditation and talking to you like and, and feeling like I am making this more of a connection with myself. I've also started making more of a connection with other people too. Mm-hmm. Like people at work I'm a little, getting a little bit closer to now and just it's just and it's really more not them doing anything but me letting them in. Wow. Same thing as you making me stare at you. The same, the same thing as you making me stare at you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Though? I do. The, I know exactly. Yeah, and, and, and you saying, yeah. you know, we did, when you're serving your customers, mm-hmm. and somebody says, hey, we really like your restaurant. And, you know, as of me just going, oh, yeah, thanks, that's great. Yeah. Me actually like looking at it and saying, thank you, it really means a lot to me. And sort of accepting it, right? Yeah. I guess the pain I feel in hearing you say that is I wish you could have that with the person that you love. We do. And I'm, I'm relieved you are finding yourself open and connected. And yeah, there's, that's kind of the double-edged sword, is you are more available maybe than you've ever been. Yeah, and, and, but that's, it's good because a lot of times for me, I find I'm saying to myself that I want to be open and to find connections where they exist. And it's good. I really like it. It's, it's a nicer way to go through life. Oh, I love that. I, I really... I really love those little moments where there's that shared, um, like we have this shared experience together. He knows that I've asked him to do something risky and you can hear it in his voice that he's has two minds about it. In one sense, he's like, this is, you made me do this. In the other sense, he's, he's saying, 
this has actually really helped me. And that, that to me feels like a perfect representation of therapy that there, there needs to be doing a doing of something new and maybe a doing of something even hard. And we have enough closeness with someone and enough trust in them that we're willing to renegotiate how we show up to try new things, to expand in some ways, to give ourselves more options. And I think it's a, it's a totally just human experience to say like, oh, I kind of, it's irritating and like, wow, you really made me do something I didn't really want to do. But what he's actually saying is this is changing me. And then I'm feeling like I'm becoming more of the person I really want to be. feel the younger people, maybe younger me, was more judgmental and critical and more quick to judge, quick to say, yeah, but you did this and this and this, you know, whereas older me now is like, hell, I've made some mistakes, <laughs> like, you know. More gracious and compassionate. Yeah, mm -hmm. a little bit. It's making me realize that I do want connection and I mean, yeah, I really would love connection with my wife, but if she doesn't want that, mm -hmm. then I need to find it in other places for myself, right? Yeah. It's your fault. <laughs> is this where I'm supposed to say I'm sorry? Or you're no. welcome? Exactly. <laughs> the, you're welcome. Sorry, sorry, not sorry. Ah, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. It's really... Um, I feel kind of lost for words just thinking about what it's like to see to see open in that way yeah to see open with me with other it's people good. it is yeah. so good sometimes i just bawl for no reason whatsoever yeah. but that also feels good too yeah you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's feeling it's feeling and releasing and moving things through and making mm -hmm. more room for the connection when it's there yeah It is a myth of masculinity that men are not as emotional as women. Part of being a good man, we're told, or these boys are told, is not crying, not being connected to your emotions, and not showing that vulnerability. And it ends up hurting men and the people that they love. I get to see these sides of men who are saying, there's something missing. My life feels lonely and empty. And I want to feel like people know who I really am and I can let them inside. That's part of the privilege of being a therapist is I get to, I get to have access to those inner worlds of people and see how often men really just want to have full access to themselves and to others. You've been listening to the first episode of season three of Other People's Problems. You can subscribe for free on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.